Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This week we discuss WWDC is announced as an all-virtual event. Will Apple release a mixed reality headset this year? What's on our WWDC wish list for software updates? Siri gets new voices. And what about automation on the Mac? This episode is brought to you by Masterclass. Get 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash Apple Insider and Helix Sleep. Get up to $200 off mattress orders and two free pillows at helixsleep.com slash Apple Insider. Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles, and joining me is my friend across the pond, William Gallagher. How you doing, William? <laughs> Hello. I'm mostly fine, but I'm afraid I've given up on you sending me uh, an M1 uh, Mac, so I've yeah, it's too late. I've gone and bought one. Okay, fine. Oh yes, and we will talk about that. But not only is my friend across the pond on here, Neil, you're joining us again for a three-way podcast here. What's up, Neil? Hey guys. First of all, before we get to the big news of WWDC was announced, we're recording on April 1st, which is April Fool's Day. And listeners, I'm going to assure you now that we are not going to do any April Fool's jokes to you on this podcast, unlike all those other brands on Twitter. I don't know how you guys feel about that. I, I, th- I saw the, the the whole controversy with uh, Volkswagen and the Volkswagen thing. Oh, and yeah, I think exactly. it was one of those things that, that regular people, people who are, are not n- news reporters weren't understanding. Yeah. Behind the scenes, Volkswagen was like explicitly lying to reporters and saying, no, we really are changing our name. And there's like this unwritten code where it's like, you don't do that to reporters. Like you don't lie to them. You say, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an April Fool's joke and then everybody plays along. But yeah, they totally screwed the pooch on that one. Yeah. It's funny because I've got a drama background and in drama, actually, you quite like producers to lie to you about things. You can (laughs) spoil some surprises. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm not sure when it all started, but for tech companies to feel like they have to do something silly on April Fool's, I want to just issue a blanket statement. You don't have to do it. Just don't do it. Yeah. It's crazy. Is it true that Gmail started as an April Fool's joke, but it was such a good idea they did it anyway? It was a Gmail feature. There was a, a there was like a undo send that they did as an April Fool's joke one year. It said, oh, I don't want to send that email. And people were like, actually, if you gave me like 30 seconds to change my mind, I wouldn't <laughs> mind that. And then they added it as a feature. <laughs> right. That's right. Well, there you go. It's all worth it for that. That's right. Thankfully, Apple CEO Tim Cook is not about the April Fool's. He actually tweeted today, we're recording on April 1st, and he tweeted that it is 45 years ago that Apple was founded. And so Tim Cook tweeted out saying he was reminded of Steve Jobs' words many years ago. It's been an amazing journey so far, yet we've barely begun. He thanks the Apple family. Here's to the next 45 years. And it's pretty wild to think that Apple has only existed for 45 years when there are brands like Coca-Cola and others that have like 100 plus years. And to think Apple might not even be close to halfway through its existence and what it will be bringing. So pretty wild to think, 45 years. And you think about all the competitors and how young they are, you know, all, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all these companies that have been around, you know, Twitter, Google, Facebook, you know, the new the new blood, they're, they're nothing compared to Apple. Yeah. Actually, isn't the Mac the only, I mean, I know it's changed a lot, but it's the only computer from the 1980s that you can still get. You can't get a Commodore PET anymore, for example, or anything. <laughs> oh, that's but true. But the Mac prevails. When did uh, IBM start? Do we know like, when they started making stuff? Well, they're Lenovo now, but... Let's see. IBM was founded in 1911. Yeah, they've been around oh, for yeah. a very long time. <laughs> wow. Do you remember when Apple issued that welcome IBM seriously thing? Would that have been 85, 86, somewhere around there? Oh, you guys are being historians today. <laughs> I do not know. <laughs> I do not know. <laughs> it was quite a while ago. Anyway, should we say? Back in the day when IBM and Apple were the big enemies, and then it was Apple and Microsoft, and now... 
Is it Apple and Samsung, or, or have we grown up past <laughs> that and there are no rivalries left anymore? Well, when it comes to privacy, there are certainly rivalries. Yeah, that's true. Yes. I mean, maybe Epic. Epic is the rival <laughs> of Apple today. But the big news this past week was Apple did announce WWDC for 2021. It's going to happen June 7th through June 11th. And the up in the air question was, will they do some kind of in-person component? And they are not. It is going to be a completely virtual WWDC, just like it was last year in 2020. And, you know, with all the vaccines and stuff, we were hoping like maybe they'll do it, but not this year. All virtual, just like last time. June 7th will be the big day of keynote and announcements for all the operating systems and such. And in a moment, I'd love to talk about our wish list to maybe see what WWDC may bring software-wise. But I don't know, what do you guys think? Do you think next year, WWDC 2022, will we go back to normal? Back to some hybrid event of maybe mostly virtual and a smaller audience in person? What do you guys think will be the, the timeline for that? Actually, I don't want to call this one because I'm pretty sure this time last year, I was certain it would be back to normal. I just kind of lamented mm. uh, because I loved the online stuff. I think, you know, by by this time next year, we'll have some sort of normalcy. Uh, I think it'll just be a normal event. Hmm. Do you think it'll be like just as many like 6,000 developers in person sitting in a room together? Yeah, I, I think so. I think, yeah, if they can if they can get them in there. You know, it's interesting. I saw that the other day uh, they, they uh, in Texas, they, they opened up for the Rangers, their opening game, and they said, we can have as many people as we want, 45,000, and only 10,000 showed up. So right. <laughs> one of the things here is that there's going to be, you know, long-term post-traumatic stress, trauma, whatever, anxiety about, even after people are vaccinated, uncomfortableness with, with crowds. So that's going to be the real question is, when we get back to a point where we can have these types of events, are people going to feel comfortable doing it? I think that there will be a slow transition, but I think in the next year we'll be back to mostly normal. I think so. I think next year will be normal. I guess my curiosity, if in September, October, will we get a Steve Jobs Theater iPhone event? And I think that's possible. I think that we could see iPhone 13 or whatever it's called, and there'll be some kind of live event, but We'll see when it comes closer to it. The invites for WWDC are interesting. They're all emojis, and it is an alluding to the Craig Federighi meme as he looked into the M1 MacBook you know, screen and you see the colors on his face. So the WWDC invites are all those emojis, and they all have glasses, and everyone's reading into the glasses idea. Uh-huh. Rarely does a... Yeah, rarely does a WWDC invite like allude to some product announcement or anything like that, but... They're mostly wearing glasses. Everyone's looked very closely at the reflection in the glasses. And uh, even me, I saw the uh, there's a lady memoji, and it says June 7th, which is the date on the calendar icon in the glasses. And then there's a 21. And I was like, well, maybe a 21st month date would be an event sometime soon. And someone on Twitter said, well, it's the year 2021. I said, well, that's no fun. But it's interesting diversity of memojis. There's actually one, if you reload like Apple's homepage, they'll show different memoji for that invite. And one of them actually has like a, a cochlear implant on one of them. And it's just a great amount of diversity and able diversity among those. So that's pretty cool. Have you guys drawn any conclusions from these invites that you think they might uh, be leading to? Has there ever been anything hidden in an invite from Apple? Like every year, everyone's looking at it and there's never any secret message or anything. And it's like, you know, what's the point? Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, William, can you remember any? I'm struggling. There was one a few years ago. I remember pouring over every icon, like a developer's head exploding with things. And yes, I, I came to loads of conclusions, and none of them were right. But I'm just tickled that this year <laughs> I didn't even notice the glasses. So there's some a woman wearing glasses. It never entered my head that there could be significance. 
<laughs> they will not be debu- I will say it right now. They will not be debuting any glasses this year. That's just not going to happen. Okay, well, that so that was going to be my next question because the rumors are, you know, Ming-Chin Kuo has said coming soon and maybe I think it was German and Bloomberg even said it might be coming this year. Not so much that the product would be coming this year, but maybe a software announcement or some kind of, we're working on an AR headset, although that seems unlikely that they would announce that at WWDC. If they're going to do it, they're just going to show it. But not that it would be available this year, but that developers could start working on the software at you know, starting now, whatever new SDKs and new tools that are available, maybe they announce something like that for AR device to come either in the fall or in 2022. Neil, do you feel like that's just as not likely? Yeah, I mean, I think, well, we're talking about two different devices here, right? There's the the glasses, which are supposed to be a, you know, pie in the oh, sky yeah, yeah. four or five years out versus an AR VR headset, right. which it could potentially debut this year. I don't think it's going to happen at WWDC. You know, I just wrote an editorial yesterday kind of previewing uh, WWDC. And, and my expectation is that it's really going to be all about the Mac and not only uh, all about the Mac, but uh, about Apple Silicon and having one brain powering all the devices from your desk to your wrist. Uh, Apple controlling the chip and the capabilities that that gives developers when they're building new apps to be on all of your screens and all of your devices. Now, at some point, it seems like they're going to have a headset be a part of that. But given everything else that they are going to be announcing and pushing developers to transition over to Apple Silicon and presumably launching new high-end Macs, maybe a new iMac with uh, you know an M1X processor, or um, giving some more clarity on, on what they're going to be doing for graphics capabilities, that sort of stuff. I think there's just way too much on the plate that to throw a headset at developers on top of that hmm. doesn't seem like great timing. So I would I would venture a guess and say not this year, no. Okay. Now, William, you uh, had predicted that the Apple Car would be announced at a March event. I think that's yep. 0 for 2. I could be wrong, but <laughs> it is yeah, it's, it's April 1st as we record. Look, one day I'm going to be right, and I'll be the first. That's true. <laughs> yeah, nobody will remember the mistakes. Yeah, for sure. So what do you think? Do you think any kind of mixed reality or, or software announcement for developers at WWDC? I ha- I was going to say no until he said that about the SDK. I thought, actually, oh, that makes sense. Of course, that would be announced earlier, just like the developer transition kit was announced earlier. But it feels like we're really just getting into the heart of the uh, Apple Silicon move. So I'm expecting more Macs. I'm not necessarily expecting anything else, but AirTags one day. So <laughs> one day there. So there is already an AR kit. You know, Apple has had this for a number of years and this was shown off like with the iMac Pro announcement and all that it could do processor wise for that. And for like the LiDAR scanner, developers had, have had access to that to use AR. So it's not like they don't already have an AR kit tool set. So I guess it would be watching during WWDC to see if they add features or anything addition to what they have now for AR kit that might point to glasses. But I'm inclined to agree with both of you. I, I don't think we'll see a hardware announcement for any kind of AR VR headset or glasses at WWDC. Man, that, I'm going to I'm going to stop saying WWDC and just say dub dub. <laughs> I think I'm just I'm going to go with that. But I think I'm going to be watching Dub Dub closely to see if anything points to those things as far as like AR kit or VR kit or anything else. I think another thing to consider here is, you know, 
presumably Apple's going to want to show off a final product, but if they're going to have the 18-month lead time, they're going to have some sort of bulky, ugly thing that they're going to have to send to developers. Right. That's fine when it's a box that sits on your desk, but when it's something that you literally wear on your face, that's a tricky thing. Like, you know, is Apple going to be sending out some sort of thing that looks like, a, you know, an Oculus device where it's this nerdy, giant thing that you wear on your head? Hmm. Probably not, you know? But if they need 18-month lead time and they need to get hardware in the hands of developers to try it out, it's going to be this delicate balancing act where they don't want to have people taking photos of some really janky looking thing that you wear on your face. I think that that could shoot the product in the foot right off the bat. So they're going to have to be careful about how they roll this thing out. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about our wish list too for WWDC in a minute. See, I said it again. I'm, I'm going to dub dub. Dub dub. Going for that. Before we get to our OS wish list for dub dub, there was some new Siri voices that came out this past week with the iOS 14.5 betas, which I imagine would be released very soon considering we're approaching dub dub time, but it will actually give users the option to choose a Siri voice apart from even a gender designation. It'll be, you know, voices one, two, three, four, if you're keep it on the American setting. But honestly, I found these voices sound really good. The new voices especially, I think have a more natural sound. They actually sound like real people uh, rather than just the stock Siri voice. Hi, I'm Siri. Choose the voice you'd like me to use. Hi, I'm Siri. Choose the voice you'd like me to use. Hi, I'm Siri. Choose the voice you'd like me to use. Hi, I'm Siri. Choose the voice you'd like me to use. What do you guys think about those voices? Are you going to change your accent or person doing it? Well, I can tell you, actually, in the UK, the default for Siri is male. Uh, it always has been right from the very start of it. Right. And uh, because, you know, doing what we do and hearing about Siri, the fact that Siri came out in the States before here, by the time we got it, a few weeks or months later, Siri was permanently a woman in my head. So a male voice always sounds wrong. <laughs> um, so I always switch it from the default male to a default woman, although my wife, Angela, has uh, set to uh, Irish woman, oh. uh, just so we know the two different voices speaking. Oh, that's a good idea. And the Irish one is really good, actually. You feel, you feel like you know her. She's a very realistic voice. Oh, okay. What about you, Neil? Uh, I, I'm not talking to Siri right now. She cannot <laughs> control my devices in my home well, and I have to reset <laughs> everything in my home kit, so we're not on speaking terms. Wait a minute. So, uh, I mean, not even on your phone or iPad devices? You just you just refuse? I I'm getting really annoyed with it, honestly. Something screwed up with my home kit, and it can't find my lights, my devices. I talk to it. Oh, sorry, I can't find that. And then I have to open my phone and do it manually. So uh, I'm going to have to go through this process of resetting everything on all of my connected devices in my home, and I'm just annoyed and kind of dreading it. This episode is brought to you by Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can learn the art of negotiation from Chris Voss. You can learn cooking from Gordon Ramsay. And you can even learn music curation and DJing from Questlove, the band leader from The Tonight Show. With over 100 classes from a range of world-class instructors, the thing you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. Guys, I love Masterclass, and I've done several courses with them. I've done music and score composition for movies with Hans Zimmer. He's done music scores for a lot of popular movies you know. I watched Neil deGrasse Tyson and Scientific Thinking. I could hear him talk all day. And one of my favorites that I mentioned before, Chris Voss with The Art of Negotiation. Not only did I read Chris Voss's book called Never Split the Difference, but his course on Masterclass can help anyone with their negotiation and just communication skills. Whether or not you think you're in negotiations with your boss or people around you, learning his style of communication and the tools that he gives you, especially if you have to work with clients as a freelancer, it is incredible. So I highly recommend that Chris Voss course. 
Every course you watch on Masterclass looks incredible. You can see inside the studio of Hans Zimmer. And if you're learning something like dog training from Brandon McMillan, and that ability to see what the teacher is actually telling you helps you learn that much faster. You can watch Masterclass on your iPhone, iPad, just go to the web on your Mac or on your Apple TV. I love that you can watch it anywhere. And if you do it on your phone, you can just flip a little toggle switch and go to audio only mode if you wanna to listen to the rest of the lesson in the car as you drive, it's a great little feature. Each lesson is just about 10 to 15 minutes in length, so you can do one on your lunch break, or you can binge a bunch in a row. Not only that, but every course will give you additional resources that you can download, whether it's lesson recaps or supplemental materials. It will really help you learn not only as you watch the courses, but as you use those additional materials. I highly recommend you check it out. Get unlimited access to every masterclass, and trust me, you're gonna wanna take several of them. And as an Apple Insider listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. So go to masterclass.com slash Apple Insider. That's masterclass.com dot com slash Apple Insider for 15% off Masterclass. Our thanks to Masterclass for sponsoring this episode. One of the other rumors that came out earlier this week, it was actually right after we recorded the last episode, but is that Apple might be developing a rugged Apple Watch geared towards athletes or people who do really outdoors activity that are going to really abuse the watch. So I thought that was interesting. You know, when Apple Watch launched, they had Apple Watch Sport just plain Apple Watch and then the Apple Watch Edition, which was a $10,000 gold watch that no one bought. But, you know, the idea of an Apple Watch Sport, they could bring back that naming convention and make it rugged. I'd be curious what materials they make it out of. Typically, when I get an Apple Watch, I like having the sapphire glass. I do find that the sapphire scratches less than the Ionex glass on the aluminum watches. And, you know, stainless steel and titanium finishes can be a little more durable than the aluminum. But I'd be curious what material they make it out of to actually claim it to be rugged. Does this interest either of you guys or what do you think? So I have a uh, quote unquote rugged uh, case slash band for my Apple Watch that I use uh, when I, uh, so I wear my Apple Watch when I play hockey. Uh, there's a great app yeah. called Hockey Tracker that like lets you know how long you're on the ice, how your shifts are, whatever. And I obviously don't want to get whacked on the wrist and have my, my watch break. So I, I do use it and I haven't had any issues and I like it. But yeah, I would be very uh, uh, intrigued by a sport version of the watch uh, if it were a, a bit more rugged and seeing what materials they would use and all that. But my guess is is that if they did a sport version, it would probably be the cheap version of the watch. It would probably be the entry level model. Uh, as you said, Stephen, you know, in terms of uh, the, using uh, the different types of glass and whether you want aluminum or stainless steel or something like that, it, it would make it a, a difficult decision. Hmm. William, I know you're all about the Fitness Plus and, and sure. hiking in the mountains. Uh, what do you feel about a rugged Apple Watch? Well, I'm, I'm actually on the side of a mountain as we speak, uh, <laughs> gripping in with a kind of rubberized glove. Just, uh, uh, how can you both be laughing at me? I thought I'd sorry, lose sorry. Neil. How would he know? <laughs> <laughs> right. He's, he's heard you talk about Fitness Plus. Oh, okay. Right. The truth is out there. That I presumed it would be some kind of rubberized uh, outer casing, but that would make it bigger and bulkier. And that Apple isn't big on, well, big on big and bulky, is it? So Yeah. And I've, I'll be honest. I mean, you know, if you wear a case, a rubberized thing, Neil, like when you play hockey, I understand this for protection, but I also see people just wearing cases on their Apple Watch all the time. And I don't know. I, I, I'm not a fan of that 
look. I feel it kind of, I don't know, degrades the, the idea of wearing an Apple Watch. Yeah. I don't like cases in general on anything. I yeah. mean, you've got these beautiful devices that Apple makes, and then you put it in a case. I don't use a case on my phone probably 90% of the time. If I'm you know going out, which I don't do as much these days, obviously, uh, I might put a case on. But even depending on what I'm doing, a lot of times I just don't even bring my phone with me. I just wear my watch. But <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a case on my iPad. Uh, I, I don't understand people putting cases on everything that they own. It's, it's, I, they must be more clumsy than I am. I can't remember who said that they have an invisible case called Apple Care. Um, interesting point. <laughs> they have a lot of money too, apparently. Yes. I've, I've actually, I've never cracked the front screen on a phone of, of mine. I did with the iPhone 10. I cracked the, the back glass of it, but I didn't even know because I had the leather case at the time that I was using and it turned out it cracked underneath oh, that. Yeah. And then I popped off the case one day and saw that it had cracked. But other than that, I've never cracked the, the front glass of a phone. Oh. I have not ish either except i do the apple upgrade plan and so i have to trade in my phone every year and the apple upgrade plan for the iphone comes with apple care so if you do damage your phone you can get a replacement and then you basically trade in that replacement and i remember when i was literally pre-ordering the iphone 11 from my 10s and as soon as i was done with the pre-order for the first time ever i dropped my phone in such a way to crack the front screen and it wasn't like a shatter. It was just a, like a, you know, kind of a crack just across the screen. Not super obvious, but it was the first time I did it. And I wasn't sure what to do, but I managed between the pre-order and the next week of picking it up, go to an Apple store, use my Apple Care like $50 device, get a <laughs> different phone without a crack. And then I literally traded that in a few days later for the iPhone 11 with the iPhone upgrade plan. That was the only time I've cracked a screen. I notice a lot of people with cracked screens on their Apple Watches walking around, and it's like, what are you people oh, yeah. doing? I don't understand. <laughs> well, then that's why I get my wife the stainless steel models because of the Sapphire, because I got her an aluminum version the very first time I got her an Apple Watch. And somehow, as she was working in the kitchen, she hit it in such a way against the counter, which we have like granite tiles. She hit it in such a way that it cracked the screen, like literally day one of wearing it. And so I immediately returned that one and went stainless steel. And with the Sapphire, she's not had anything like that crack or otherwise. So I don't know, William, are you rough on your watches? No, I don't have a single mark on my watch and never have. I would say the same about phones as well, except there was one time a few years ago when it flew out of my pocket and made an arc across the road and smashed <laughs> it in front of a car. Oh. And I still think of that dog. It makes me think of the new commercial that Apple has where the woman's fumbling with her phone and then it falls right. out. And then it lands in a pile of dirt. And it's like, you really want to show how <laughs> tough your phone is? Let's have it land on some concrete and slap around, you know, on the ground. Like, landing in a pile of dirt, oh man, well, I'm, I'm so worried about your phone there. I, I, I don't like that ad. <laughs> well, and I did see the name. I forgot it last time we were recording, but it's the Ceramic Shield technology that they're advertising. And I could see if they release this rugged Apple Watch, That'll for sure be the term they talk about it. It's some ceramic shield technology on the Apple Watch face. I think I think we may be reading into this too much. I think it may just be a cheaper model that they sell and then call it sport, just like they did before. Mm. And maybe maybe they have some material that they say is more durable, but I don't think it's going to be anything particularly elaborate. Okay. Well, I mean, William does a bunch of rock climbing, and he's never damaged his watch. So Not once. Nope. Not once. That's, that's amazing. High altitude, <laughs> hanging on by your finger. Yeah. <laughs> this is off topic, but have you seen the uh, Free Solo documentary, either of you? Oh, yeah. I haven't. What's that? Free Solo is the, what's the guy's name? Alex Honnold, 
who was the first person to free solo El Capitan. See, this, this is Apple-related. El Capitan, Mac OS, it's all connected. <laughs> what does free solo mean? He went up by himself. He went up without any safety wires. Yeah, you don't have, like, the harnesses and stuff. Oh, goodness. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, no cables, no backup plan, no safety, anything. He climbed El Capitan free soloing, you know, no, no cables, all by himself. If you are faint of heart, let me say, this documentary is, like, the, the ending part when you're actually watching him climb. Yeah, it, it's vertigo-inducing. Oh, vertigo-inducing, like, nerve-wracking. Like, you, your palms will sweat the entire time. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, like one wrong move, and this guy just falls off El Capitan. Like there, there's no he might survive. Like it would be over. So it, it's a wild documentary, oh, not for the faint of heart, but it is a very interesting, and I do recommend if if you'd be into that, William. I know you do this all the time. So well, same old, same old, isn't it? Really? Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. See one. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, last rumor. This was found in the. TVOS 14.5 beta, it hinted at a redesigned Apple TV remote with some center button, but then it looked like that that was not actually the case, maybe not the actual remote that Apple will be developing. But I still hold to the fact that Apple surely will redesign that remote whenever this next faded Apple TV comes out. And I really do hope they do it. I've said it before, but I think the new Chromecast remote that's a little rounded and has a lot of tactile buttons... Not exactly that, but something in that direction rather than the flat slab that we have now. I think we've been official. So I don't know, do you guys think we're going to see a new remote? Well, my problem is I don't mind the current remote. I mean, I know mm. I always pick it up the wrong way. Yeah, that's a pain. But other than that, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. But Neil, you feel stronger. I, they, they have to keep some sort of a touchpad on there, I feel. It's just the way that the interface is and all that. Right. I think you keep the remote largely the same and, and have one side fatter than the other so you can pick it up right. You know, which mm. side is the touchpad. You Because know, I have picked it up and you touch the other side thinking it's the touchpad and then it doesn't work. So, yeah, I mean, and the, the list of things that I could complain about, that seems like it's pretty low on the, the, the list of concerns that I have. So I, I just, I, people's hatred of the remote is a strange thing to me. I, I don't really understand the passion there. <laughs> yeah, and I, I actually find myself, because of Siri shortcuts, using the software remote on my iPhone a lot for a bedroom Apple TV. Then in the living room, I have a universal remote, Logitech Harmony hub and all that. So I don't use it often. And no, I don't hate it either. I think the biggest pain point is when you, you know, accidentally put it on the sofa next to you and, you know, hit the menu button when you're in the middle of watching something and the whole family turns to you with disdain. Saying, <laughs> I can't believe you hit the remote again. But, you know, that's really the only pain point. I, I find that if you're going to pause or scroll through something, um, the Siri remote works better. So right. I have a Logitech Harmony as well. And I, when I'm using the Apple TV, will go out of my way to pick up the Apple TV remote so I can scroll through content easier. Yes, I will say that like scrubbing through a movie or TV show, it is a much better experience with the Siri remote. So yeah, I agree. It'll be some kind of touch surface, but yeah, maybe just a little more ergonomic. I think that's it. It'd be nice to have some chi charging on that thing too. That would just be to like nice, lay it yeah. down on a wireless thing. I don't know if they would do that. But. I'd like them to do it in blue, but you know. They won't. So, yeah, just ignore me. Blue. Blue. The way, the way people complain about the Siri remote, you'd think that Apple owes them money or something. It's like, people, like, <laughs> really? This isn't that big of a deal. Like, uh, of all the problems of Apple's products, the Siri remote is just not that big of a concern. It Maybe add some wireless charging, make one side fatter than the other, and you're done. You don't need to reinvent the wheel here. I will say, so as we move into our 
dub dub wish list for software. I will say with the Apple TV, I use a HomePod with my bedroom Apple TV as the speaker. And most days it stays connected. And if I just press play on something, the audio will come from the HomePod and it sounds good. But sometimes it disconnects. And for some reason, Apple moved the audio setting. You used to be able to go to the settings app on Apple TV, go to video and audio, and then choose the audio output from there, HomePod being one of the choices, any AirPlay 2 device would show up there and you could kind of set that as the speaker. But now they've removed that. You can't choose your audio out for AirPlay device there. You actually have to hold the TV button on the Siri remote and then that little like side thing slides in and you go down to the AirPlay looking logo and from there you can select an AirPlay audio device to play to. And that's something like just some of those software quirks where, you know, okay, you want to put it there in that side menu. Sure, do that, quick access to it. But I feel like you should also have it in the settings app where you would set up audio settings. But that's just me. Do you guys use any HomePods with your Apple TVs or do you guys all hardwire it and just use speaker? I have a receiver with a 5.1 setup. That, that works great for me. And yeah, yeah. speaker technology hasn't really in, in, in advanced that much in the last 40 years. So I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah. What about you, William? I'm trying to think. There was a point when uh, we, I put my one HomePod uh, in front of our TV and linked it up because Strictly Come Dancing was on and it's live Saturday night music and it sounded really great. But then I couldn't be bothered to turn it on and pair it, and I moved it back. <laughs> I should do that. I've now got two HomePods. I should do that. I kept looking for HomePod deals since it's been discontinued. OWC had the best one for like two fifty, but now they're they're out of stock everywhere. Like you can you can get some white ones here and there, but some some places have them like marked up like for four hundred dollars. And I was like, no, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not that desperate for it. So do you exclusively use the Apple TV for all your content then? Because I mean, like if I were I'm trying to envision in my head how I'd use a HomePod setup for that. And it's like, well, then I can't play Nintendo Switch or Xbox or anything like that. So in my living room, I have a 5.1 with a Denon receiver. And in there, I have my Switch going through it, the Apple TV and Xbox and all that. But in my bedroom, I only have an Apple TV connected to the television. Got it. And so I use the HomePod exclusively for that one. And it works well. You know, I I don't have anything else I'm going to watch in the bedroom or connect to the TV. So it works okay. And it definitely sounds way better than the TV speakers. It's just the inconsistent connection sometimes. It's annoying. Right. Okay. I'm I'm no gamer at all, so uh, all we have in my living room is Apple TV Plus. Uh, the UK provider BT, we had a BT Vision box, uh, but actually I can't remember. Uh-huh. No, I remember the last time we tried to watch something like that, neither myself or my wife Andrew could remember how to use it because we'd seen everything <laughs> through Apple TV for two years. Right. Well, and you're too busy climbing mountains anyways, William. You don't have time for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you're nuts. I forgot that bit. Okay. <laughs> consistent lying. That's what I need. Right, right. You got to be consistent. You got to keep track. This episode is brought to you by Helix Sleep. I know one of the things you don't think about a lot until you actually lay down to go to sleep at night is that mattress. Maybe you have trouble sleeping because just that mattress is really old. Or maybe stuff that's going on in the world today has you worried and you struggle to get to sleep. Let me encourage you by getting a great mattress from Helix Sleep will not only help you sleep better, but when you get up the next day, you'll feel rested and ready to go and tackle the day because the Helix Sleep mattress is made just for you. If you go to helixsleep.com slash appleinsider, they have a quiz. It takes just two minutes to complete, and it matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Everybody's unique, and Helix knows that. So they have several different mattress models to choose from, soft, medium, and firm. 
mattresses for cooling you down if you sleep hot, and even a Helix Plus mattress. I took the Helix quiz and I was actually matched with the Helix Plus mattress. I wanted something with medium firmness, I sleep on my side, and it gets your height and weight and all that, and it recommends that mattress just for you. And let me tell you, when I got that mattress, you know, it comes in the box, it when you take the mattress out of the box, you cut the plastic off and it just inflates, you know, and you put it on the bed. And let me tell you, this is the most comfortable mattress I have ever laid on. Setting it up is super easy and it is just the firmness that I wanted. And the way I sleep, I just sleep so soundly on it. I can't recommend it highly enough. So if you're looking for a mattress, take the quiz, order the mattress you're matched to. The mattress comes right to your door. It's shipped for free. You don't ever need to go to a mattress store again. But don't take my word for it. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. They also have a 10-year warranty, and you can try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but I'm sure you will. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. So go to helixsleep.com slash appleinsider. That's H-E-L-I-X sleep.com slash appleinsider to get up to $200 off and two free pillows. Our thanks to Helix Sleep for sponsoring this episode. All right, well, I would love to hear from you guys a wish list of software features, whether it's iOS, iPadOS, macOS, Watch OS, all those kinds of things, features that you would like or hope to see at DubDub. And I'm going to give a, a number of mine. I thought about sharing screenshots of our home screens, but in the state of widgets, you know, curious how that would be. But I will give my my wish list for some of the things I'm hoping for. These are kind of the the biggest ones, not big features, but my biggest wants from DubDub. I would love to see shortcuts on Mac, first of all. Jason Snell had a long article on sixcolors.com talking about automation and how it's kind of broken between the different devices, Mac and iOS and iPad. And I find shortcuts to be great. I use it all the time. I love building them and they really meet a lot of my needs. And I would love to see shortcuts come to the Mac. You know, we have Automator, we have Apple Scripts on Mac, but I don't think either of those fulfill that niche of shortcuts. So I love to see shortcuts on a Mac. I would also love to be able to mark iMessages as unread. So many people request this. I mean, this would be huge. It would just be so helpful and I would stop missing texts that I've tapped but not replied to. I'd love to see mail improved across the board. I have connectivity issues with like Outlook accounts and Gmail stuff. And plus just the mail app in general is largely unchanged for years. So I would love to see that improved. When it comes to widgets, I would love to see interactive widgets where if I have a things widget on my home screen that I can actually hit a plus button and add a task without having to go all the way into the app. Mm. That kind of functionality across all widgets would be great. Seeing iPad OS add more power features to the iPad, maybe with the next model of iPad, we'll see that. But things like audio settings and other things that you can do on the Mac, bring those to the iPad. I would love more improvements in notes and improvements with um, file sharing and file sync with iCloud Drive. William and I have bemoaned this in the past, but like sharing a file or folder with iCloud Drive is still really weird. And especially trying to share it externally with someone, like just trying to send them a link so they can access a file to download. It's it's kind of weird. And file sync on macOS with iCloud Drive is still weird. I'd love to see a list of files like currently downloading or uploading. Something as simple as that would be helpful. I'd love to see HomeKit improvements, not only on the iOS, but just functionality in general, maybe more device categories added to HomeKit would be great and other little things sporadically. But tell me, uh, you guys, any of those speak to your needs or do you have other wants from DubDub? Well, I've got to tell you, I want pretty much all of those. That would be nice, but <laughs> uh, I have yeah. a really, really tiny one. 
Um, I'm doing lots of drama meetings recently. I've been, so I've been buying more television made by various companies I'm talking to rather than just catching whatever's streaming. And so I've ended up using the Apple TV app a lot more than I have before. And I'm starting to really like it, except it just drives me spare that every now and again, when you've watched episode three of something, it will insist that the next episode you want to watch is episode two. <laughs> and I can't conceive how it can't count. It just, what is wrong? And uh, sometimes, yeah, the metadata's wrong, the wrong image appears on certain shows. And I know that's obviously just a human-created mistake, but the, the lack of counting and the lack of detail for it, I kind of get, I find that more exasperating than the fact that Netflix isn't available uh, through it. So, hmm. yeah, for, can, can I win for smallest change? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's all like a functionality thing. You just want it to operate as advertised. I want it to just work. Right. Yeah. Yes, as Steve Jobs. That old phrase. Yes. <laughs> you ask for too much. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> I'm trying to think about what I would want on each platform, at least one thing. I would say, uh, I agree with you, Stephen. Uh, uh, I want to have uh, shortcuts on the Mac uh, to replace Automator. I think that having that sort of integration, there's a lot of capabilities and features that are on the iPhone and iPad that just aren't on the Mac. For example, Apple Fitness Plus. Like, why is that not on the Mac? That doesn't make any sense to me. Mm. Should be easily available. I'd like to see more integration between the uh, Apple Watch and the Mac as well. Like, why can't I manage my watch from my iPad or my Mac? Why do I have to do it from my phone? Um, that that would be a nice one. Mm. I'd like to see a smarter, if, if we're looking at watchOS, I'd like to see a smarter watchOS that is more contextually aware. I think the less that you have to interact with the watch, the better the device is. So mm. why do I have to tell it that I'm starting a workout? Uh, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do that? It should be able to intelligently figure a lot of these things out. Um, like, for example, it would be great if the watch, uh, when you're watching Apple TV, uh, automatically added a shortcut to uh, controlling your Apple TV from your wrist, that sort of, you know, things like that that you could, that you can enable. Um, I don't know if you guys have used the app uh, Watchsmith oh, yeah. um, that will uh, change throughout the day and give you uh, different widgets. Yes. Um, I think that if they did something like that at the OS level that we expanded upon it, um, and maybe wasn't necessarily just time aware, but also contextually aware of your, based on your location, that sort of stuff. Um, the less you'd have to interact with the watch, the better. Uh, looking at the iPad, I would say I agree with you, Stephen, that they just need to take kind of the training wheels off. I'd like to see some proper multitasking on the iPad to make it a true Mac replacement. Um, maybe some external monitor support. Maybe we'll be getting that with new mm -hmm. hardware uh, that will properly uh, scale to the size of the external monitor with the OS rather than just... <laughs> mimicking the four by three letterbox screen on a widescreen yeah the letterbox you know with a, with a widescreen or whatever that would be nice and then um on the phone i would like to see more magsafe accessories i don't know if that's necessarily an os thing or just a licensing thing or whatever uh but i'm excited about the potential for magsafe and uh you know i think that future iterations of it might bring in you know some sort of data transfer and stuff but again thinking about the nfc capabilities that are built into magsafe and being able to you know mount your phone and and kind of what i was talking about with the watch too having it intelligently turn into something uh, when you attach an accessory, I think would be pretty exciting. So I'd like to see Apple expanding on that with iOS 15, uh, adding capabilities and, and, and making it so that you can make it a more dynamic device. Have you guys found or use any widgets that that you feel like this is just great. I'm so glad we have widgets or like, do you have any widgets on your like main home screen? For me, I, I use the weather widget because that's a nice glanceable information thing. And I use the fantastic Al widget. They have 
awesome widgets. You know, honestly, I think there are third-party widgets that are really showing what widgets can do as opposed to like the first-party ones. The Fantastical one, I love this. It's a four-app, like a long horizontal widget, and it shows the month calendar on the left side of the widget. And on the right side of the widget, it shows like today's agenda events. So I can quickly see what day of the month it is and where we are there. And then also what events I have today. And if there's none today, it'll show tomorrow. So I love that widget specifically. But other than those two, I mean, mostly I find widgets are either just like a shortcut to open the app and maybe that's a functionality thing, but I don't know. What widgets have you found that like you love, if any? Well, so I'm looking at my home screen right now and I have uh, on my main screen, I have Apple calendar that I use. I have carrot weather with a five day forecast. Oh yeah. I have the music widget and then I have the photos widget, which I just, it's just visually more attractive to show me photos rather than just having an icon there of a, you know, a flower or whatever. Um, and then on my second screen, I have the large uh, Apple news widget, um, which has four stories on it. Uh. And then on my third screen, I just have a little corner widget, which is a, it rotates between uh, my fitness rings and uh, battery state of my devices. Oh. Do you have those automatically switch or is it a manual swiping? Uh, it automatically switches. It seems like most of the time it just shows my rings. I don't know how it decides what to show when, but right. Uh, you know, I'll switch between them occasionally, but I'm not really. I try to avoid battery anxiety, so I, I don't really dwell on it. Here's a question: Do you guys have the percentage of your uh, uh, battery show up in the uh, in on your <laughs> iPad and your iPhone, or do you just have uh, the icon? Icon. Uh, William, I'll let you go first. Well, um, as I remember it, with the once we got the notch, you couldn't have the percentage in the top. You have to swipe down in Control Center to see it. But right. I do do that all the time. Oh, do you? Yeah. Uh, I'm with you on the exercise rings things, by the way. I found that uh, killed the battery because I'm so fit, so active. The rings were just whizzing <laughs> round and round, and it was just killing. <laughs> I use the same Fantastica widget as you. Uh, I have nothing on my front screen. I have only apps and icons because I use them all, all the time. I have one big widget on the second screen, which is a smart stack, rotates. But I think the most useful thing I have on there is a set of four shortcuts that I most often use. But other than that, I'd forgotten that I haven't used widgets as much as I expected to. What am I I'm missing out? Well, if widgets, I think, get more powerful with iOS 15 and the new iPad OS, I think it would make a big difference. Oh. I would also love to see widgets on the iPad home screen. You know, you can have widgets in that like left column today view, but as it stands right now, you can't put any widgets within the apps on the iPad home screen, like mixed in together. So that'd be a nice iPad OS 15 feature. Neil, to your question with the battery percentage, I have like high battery anxiety. Like I don't even want to look at the battery. <laughs> like only tell me when I'm like, it's about to die. So I don't have any percentages of anything anywhere. Yeah. I have one battery widget buried in a smart stack. And I really only have it if I want to know the battery of like the AirPods that I'm listening to or whatever, because I don't like being surprised with a little beep and then they're just going to shut off. But I try not to look at it, anything battery wise. And I also don't like to look at, I, I'm, I'm glad Apple did this feature, but I also wish they hadn't, which is the battery health feature, which if you go to the settings on your iPhone, and I think it came to the right, Mac too, yeah. you go to settings battery. Now it'll give you anxiety about, about replacing your phone. Yeah, exactly. And like, I'm just curious, maybe, maybe if you guys could go to it now, uh, I'd be curious what your percentage wise is, but I've, my iPhone 12 Pro here, I go to settings, battery, and then there's the battery health menu. Mine says maximum capacity 100%. Yeah, mine does too, actually. The peak performance capability, but I have an iPhone 12 Pro, so. That's what I have too. William, what, what model do you have and what percentage uh, capacity do you have? Oh, mine's on 97% <laughs> maximum capacity. Uh, 
I have an iPhone time. 12 Pro. Well, it's time for a new phone, oh. William. That's it. It's over. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get one. So the battery widget will automatically, if you have something connected, you know, like uh, your AirPods or whatever, it'll show up there and then it will go away if it's not connected. And so I find that it's more often than not, it's just rage inducing for me because the Powerbeats Pro case is the worst thing that Apple has ever designed. The magnetic <laughs> attachment to get it in there to charge doesn't work mm. and you don't know that it's not charging. So like when you close the lid and then I'll go try to go for a run like the next day and it'll be dead. <sighs> and then I'll, the only way I'll know is if I go to the widget and flip over and see it, the headphones are still connected because it's not actually seated in there and charging. I don't know who designed that case. It's it's giant. It doesn't have wireless charging in it. It's like four times larger in the AirPods case and it doesn't even sit in there right. Like mm. and these things cost like two hundred bucks. I don't I don't know who designed it, but they need to be fired. <laughs> strong, strong feelings. It's terrible. Here's one other feature I would like. Because the new like M1 Max, which William just got one. You can tell us about that in a minute. But, you know, you used to have the battery lights on the side of your MacBooks. You know, if, if you remember, Goodness, listeners, back in the yes. day, there's a little button on the side of your MacBook. You can press the button yep. and there would be, I think, four or five little green lights and you could see the battery capacity right there on the physical device without having to open it. And now... With the M1 Max, the charging really mimics like the other devices. It's the same like sound when you plug it in and it's like that bong or whatever. It feels like you're charging an iPad or an iPhone. But in order to see the percentage battery on your Mac, you have to open it. What I would love to see is somehow the MacBook M1, if it's only M1, fine, or you know whatever other M processors, the MacBook battery percentage in the battery widget of my iPhone or iPad. Yes. I feel like that would be awesome to see. You can just at a glance, do I need to plug in my MacBook overnight or not? I'd love to see that in the widget. Yeah, no, that's the same thing I was saying with the watch connecting to the Mac and all that. Like all these devices just need to talk to each other better, right? And I'm, I'm hoping that with the same, you know, Apple Silicon powering all these devices that you'll see that kind of stuff. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. I did remember one more that I want to add though for a feature request. And it's since Apple killed force touch on the watch and you can't clear all notifications about scrolling up to the top. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is the stupidest yeah. thing. Just give me a long press to clear all notifications. That's fine. Right. But the fact that you have to scroll all the way to the top, like the next watch OS, just needs to have a long press to clear all notifications, please. Yes, I agree. And it's weird because 3D Touch on the iPhone, while the hardware feature kind of went away, you still basically have it. You know, you just long press on an icon and you don't have some like the link. Or I guess, can you long press on a link and get that pop-up preview still? I don't even know. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. So you basically have all like the software features of it. But like you said, on the on the watch, that was like the most used force touch feature I remember using. So yes, I agree yeah. definitely on that. Why was it Force Touch on the watch and 3D Touch on the phone? Other than the fact that Force Touch is not a great name because it implies not a great name. <laughs> being forcibly touched. But like, why, they kept it around until they got rid of the feature. Why didn't they just rename it 3D Touch? I don't know why they did that. I don't know. I remember 3D Touch came out with the 6S and the Apple Watch was right around the same time, I thought. But yeah, I, I don't know why they didn't rename it. I don't know if it was... I have no idea. That was a weird naming convention. I, I think it may have been initially on the Mac with the with the trackpad. Was it Force Touch? Oh, that's right. Yeah, Force Touch. Yep. Which you could still do that. That's still there. That hasn't gone away, but it has gone away on the phone and the iPad. Yeah, I disable that feature on the Mac. I don't. I don't do that. Yeah. Really? I like it. Uh, it was cool for like looking up definitions of a word, but I also found I triggered it accidentally too often, so I turned. Oh, uh, okay. William, any last feature requests? I would. There's something I realized just. Listen to you, and I was nodding my head so much a minute ago about shortcuts. I've suddenly realized there's something I desperately don't want to lose, uh, which is Apple Script. 
If we get shortcuts, great, but I don't want it to suddenly be that we don't need AppleScript anymore. I have so many keyboard maestro routines that are, at some point or another go out to call Apple scripts and I can't write it, but I can steal other people's Apple scripts and use them. And it's so much more powerful <laughs> than shortcuts can be. I, I'm, let me just hang on to that. No, and I think they could keep that and even keep Automator buried in like the utility folder or whatever, which I think it might live there now anyway, but keep all that, but just have shortcuts be the new and main way for creating automations on the Mac, I think it would be helpful. Now, Automators, it still lives in the application folder at the top, so just move it to utilities. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Lightning round. I'd love to hear about your M1 Mac Mini, William. Uh, next time you're on, you can tell us your experience going from your Intel to Mac Mini. But Lightning round, I just want—I was curious to know what you guys use as your main writing app. I'm experimenting, trying different apps. So when you write an article and when you can do some writing, what's the app you go to on your Mac? It'd be awkward and say there are two that I go to simultaneously. Uh, drafts is where I write most of my text, but I love Omni Outliner as well for anything where I've just, I've got one scrap of an idea and I need to make it into something coherent and long. I mean, obviously books, uh, but certainly complicated articles. I'll start putting in things like, um, what don't I understand yet? What have I got to learn as well as what must I say? And, uh, it starts as an outline plan in Omni Outliner and I have inadvertently ended up writing whole articles in there. <laughs> okay. So I like it very much, but drafts is the uh, the usual. Drafts 5 on the Mac. Okay. Is where I write most thing. So I've been using text edit for many many years. Wow. I just write everything in there. Um I have it in plain text mode so that I don't get any curly quotes that'll break anything. Um I I always find it funny like when you can see someone has been composing in an email and they've pasted and copied things and then the fonts change when when you get sent the email and all that. Um I hate all that stuff. So I will actually take text <laughs> and put it into text edit first to make sure that it scrapes everything off of it right. so that it's as basic as you can get. And I find that it's super robust in the sense that if my Mac crashes whatever I was doing is never lost. Hmm. Uh, it all syncs to the cloud. It's always there. It's super simple. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't need anything fancy. So that's what I do. That's, well, that's pretty unique. I've been experimenting with IA Writer because I like the markdown support and being able to export different formats. So that's what my go-to recently. But interesting, man. Text edit, that's that's hardcore. That's like raw. <laughs> very very raw old school. Thing. Yeah, very cool. Well, listeners, I would love to hear what you use for your writing apps or maybe your note apps. You can tweet at William Neal and myself. All of our Twitter handles are in the show notes. You can also email me. That's in the show notes as well. We would greatly appreciate a five-star rating and review if you could in Apple Podcasts. That helps out the show. If you have a technology or Apple podcast that you do regularly and you would like an Apple Insider staff person as a guest on that show, we would love to hear from you. You can email me that is in the show notes as well and let us know. Tell us what your show is and what you'd like to talk about or what topic you'd like to cover. So we'd love to hear from you there. And don't forget to check out the other podcasts on Apple Insider. HomeKit Insider comes out every Monday about smart home and HomeKit products. And then we have Apple Insider Daily. It's the top Apple news headlines every weekday in just a few minutes. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.